Thanks for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. get into the Word of God. We're kicking off a brand new series today. Uh, let me see, do I have, oh, we're kicking off a brand new series called Family Matters. Somebody say Family Matters. Come on, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. So good to see Tim and Ginger Quinn in the house today. So excited. I was so excited to see them come through the doors. They, they made my day when I saw them out there in the vestibule. Made my day. So good to see all of you, all of you here in the house of the Lord. Genesis chapter 16. So happy to have Brother Brian on the front row with me and Brother Vince back on the front row with me today in God's house. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Verse 2. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Verse 4. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And verse 6, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. I want to talk from the subject, I got 99 problems but my family ain't one. I got 99 problems, but my family ain't one. Uh, how many people have had problems in your family? See, people, they got their hands still down. You know, I want you to meet me at this altar. Once we're done, we're going to pray that God would forgive all of your sins, specifically of lying. Because we all have Family problems. I went to uh, one of my favorite characters, the Minions, because I wanted to get some quotes. He says, some families have Kodak moments. <laughs> some families have Prozac moments. But our family has straitjacket moments. How many, people, how many people can identify with that? <laughs> Let's go to another one. I smile because you're my family. I laugh because there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I mean, this one says, I shook my family tree and a bunch of nuts fell out. How many people know we got some crazy people in the family? This one is funny. The Lee family has really been stressing me out. 
perhaps you know them emotionally, physically, mentally, and let's not forget financially. I mean, know those members of the family. This is probably the one that I love the most. Every family has one weird relative. And if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. It's probably you. <laughs> we got problems in our family. We got problems in our family. I think there are very few joys in life that compare to a peaceful family life. How many know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, when your family is clicking on all cylinders, boy, I tell you, you feel like you're on cloud 99. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, when the family unit is together, there is no joy like it, no peace like it. There is just a harmony that is experienced when the family is together. The late Dr. Dehan said, the nearest thing, the nearest thing to heaven on earth is a happy Christian home. The nearest thing to heaven on earth is a happy Christian home. And I would contend at the same time and say few things in this world are as stressful as a home filled with strife. I think Solomon with his 700 wives and 300 concubines. I think he knew, he must have known what he was talking about when he wrote, it is better to live in the corner of a roof than to share a house with a contentious woman. I mean, the Bible says so many things about family. I mean, think about this. Even in the very beginning when he delivered what we know as the Ten Commandments to Moses, check this out. Right wedged, almost in the center of it, he gives this one that you can find in Exodus 20 and 12. He says, uh, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth that the Lord thy God has given thee. I mean, family is important so much so to one of the Ten Commandments even has a promise connected to it when you obey it. He also tells the children, he says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is its reward. First Timothy, Paul begins talking to Timothy, and he says, But if, if any provide not for his own, especially those that are in his own house, he have denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And then he begins to even also admonish fathers in Ephesians 6 and 4. He says, and ye fathers, provoke not you your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nature and the admiration of the Lord. The Bible says some very specific things when it comes to family. Families matter. Look at somebody and say, family matters. And I'm going to submit today that though you may have problems in your family, your family is not your problem. Though we may have problems in our family, our family is not our problem. Of course, no home is going to be free of all conflict on this side of heaven because we all struggle in our flesh. And I would even say here that we experience self, I'm sorry, we, we, when self-centered as sinners live in close contact with one another, conflict is inevitable. 
When self-centered sinners live in close contact with one another, conflict is inevitable. In other words, it's going to happen. There are times when we will uh, 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 fall back into our sinful nature, and guess what? Conflict will begin to happen. Children in even the best of Christian homes will fight. I know it to be true. Because I got two hellraisers, I mean two lovingly beautiful daughters, six-year-old and a one-year-old. But even there, even my one-year-old, I was looking at them this week, and they all of a sudden I saw Kaylin running, and it was all because Reagan had this little baton in her hand and was looking to hit her. I'm like, the one-year-old is beating up the six-year-old. What in the world have we gotten ourselves into? Christian husbands and Christian wives will have misunderstandings, disagreements, and hurt feelings. Even in my home, this morning, preparing for church, I let the devil get in me. You know why? Because Courtney came to me and she says, hey, I need five hours to go and get some milk because we're all out of milk. And I said the words that no wife likes to hear her husband say. I said, didn't I just give you money yesterday? Oh, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. Let me, let me tell you. I mean, it was, she was no longer Courtney, she was Nicole, you know, that, that's her middle name. And that's when I know she transitioned because I saw the look in her face like you. I mean, I mean let me just tell you. All because of a gallon of milk and $5. We have to be careful. We have to guard ourselves against the enemy suddenly coming in. Do I have anybody that knows what I'm talking about? We should never expect perfection. We should never expect perfection. But at the same time, a home that follows God's plan for the family can be such a joyous and warm and loving experience that we can all agree with Dr. DeHan, and that is the nearest thing to heaven on earth. I feel sometimes jealous when I go over to Brian and Sarah's house because, I mean, their house is just like peaceful all the time. I mean, Zach and Alex are just like the most well-mannered kids ever. Brian is in there cooking, washing dishes, as Sarah just does, you know, her thing. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm like, how can we be like, I mean, who, who can contend with that? But you know what I believe? We sat with them a few weeks ago. We were just having dinner together. And I began asking them questions. I was like, you know, have you guys hit your sweet spot in marriage? Or what would you say your sweet spot is? And Brian said something that hit me and it stuck with me. He says, you know what? It was when we gave our hearts to the Lord. And we began doing family the way God says do family as opposed to the way we thought family should be done. I almost wanted to give over the reins to being pastor to him. I was like, man, you need to do this, have this position. Though we may have family problems, your family is not your problem. Listen to this. It, if we all can just have an honest and transparent moment, and we can say that there are times that we fall short at this, 
I have some good news for you. Take heart. Because you are not alone. <laughs> As Michael Jackson says, I am here with you. <laughs> and so did Abram's home. I mean, the father of faith, he too had issues in his home. I mean, if you really want to break it down, what we just read, Abram had problems going on in his household. There was strife in his home because he and Sarai went along with some cultural customs regarding the family and they violated some of God's principles. The conduct or the conflict continues even to this day between Abram's descendants through Ishmael, the Arabs, and Isaac, the Jews. But by learning from Abram's mistakes, my brothers and my sisters, we can avoid some of these problems that he fell into and repair the damage in our families. The incident recorded in Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6, teaches us this overarching message. And it's this, and you want to get this down. We experience family problems when we go along with culture rather than follow God's plan. I feel like preaching right now. Let me say that again. We experience family problems when we go along with culture rather than follow God's plan. In every culture, there are some elements that we, or that are favorable to family life, and some that are neutral, but then there are also some elements that are very harmful to family life. And as God's people, if we want to have a peaceful, harmonious family, we must think biblically about our culture and resist those customs that are adverse to God's plan for the family. Are you listening to me today? I want to focus on this one lesson today. There are three lessons in it total, but I know I'm, I know I'm going to pick it up next week. So let me just start with the one. Let's go as far as we can. The, the first lesson is this. Our culture puts pressure on families that violate God's word. I'm going to say that again. Our culture puts pressure on families to violate God's word. The pressure on families now is greater than at any other time in human history because of the modern mass media that bombards us with these ideas and examples that begin to erode the family structure. Things like illicit sex is exciting. In fact, it's not really illicit. It's okay and everybody does it. Or how about this? Nobody stays committed in a troubled marriage anymore. You deserve some happiness. Besides, it's better for the kids to live with one parent than live in a house filled with constant arguing. Just bail out. Or how about this? Happiness comes from financial success. So, 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 so the husband and the wife should be focused solely on their careers so they can be fulfilled and to get financially ahead. 
Because your career comes first. After all, that's what you went to college for. It's what you got your degree for. You should put your career first, even above your family. Your family will thank you later. I know I'm talking good in here. You don't have to say nothing. The author Bruce Wilkinson of Walk Through the Bible Ministries, he says this, the church reflecting trends in society is no, no longer takes marriage as seriously as God does. And he quotes a law professor who points out, get this, get this. He points out that it's easier in this country to walk away from a marriage than from a commitment to buy a used car. <laughs> Most contracts can't be uh, unilaterally a bit, uh, 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 done away with, but marriages can be terminated by practically anyone at any time without a cause. And even Christians are bailing out by the thousands, by the thousands. And it's all because, watch this, we're allowing our culture to influence our families over the word of God. In Abram and Sarai's day, the cultural pre pressures, perhaps they weren't as pervasive as they are now, but they still were very powerful. I think it's just like fish who don't realize they're wet. We all tend to be so immersed in our culture that we don't realize how much it actually affects us. In their culture, watch this, in their culture, it was a strong pressure to have children, especially to have sons. Because sons guaranteed some things. Sons guaranteed that your family name would be carried on. Sons showed that you were prosperous and blessed. To be childless was a mark of reproach. And this stigma was so strong that if a wife could not produce children, the custom, the custom, the culture of that day, listen to me good, was for her to give one of her servant girls to her husband as a concubine. The children of that union became the children of the wife. In Abram's case, the pressure to have a son was increased or intensified probably by two major factors. Factor number one was his name. <laughs> How many know that names are supposed to mean something? Yeah. See, Abram's name, Abram's name meant father of many or exalted father. And in chapter 17, God gives him a new name, Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. So you can imagine how Abram must have felt when the band of traders passed by his tents and they said, hey, bruh, what's your name? What they would ask, and Abram would reply, he would say, Abram. They said, oh, that's wonderful. They would respond, how many children do you have? He would respond, none. And they would continue passing by laughing and 
smirking and snickering at him. But Abram would add, God has promised to give me a son and to make me a father of many nations. I'm sure they would look at him and look to kind of gauge about how old he was and they would, they would probably say, yeah, right. Making a mockery of the promises of God. I think the second reason why it was so intensified for Abram was the fact that he felt pressure to have a son because God's repeated promise to him for a son. And yet he was 85 now. Sarai was 75. And even with the longer lifespans of that day, they were getting close to the age where it would have been physically impossible to reproduce. And if God was going to come through, it seemed he had to do it soon. That was the context behind why Sarai came up with this plan in accordance to with the custom of the day. In other words, in accordance with the culture of that time. Let me ask you a question. What culture of this day have you bought into that you know is a direct adverse or is indirect adverse to the word of God? I think we got to ask ourselves these questions. Because if we really want to see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives, we, my brothers and my sisters, we have to hold the word of God at a higher prominence than our culture. It was in this context that Sarai, who, if she, if, 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 if she was placed in today's context, we would probably label her as a control freak. Because, because she, she began to do something that a lot of us find ourselves doing and that she does God's will her way. Let me tell you something. You can't do God's will your way. You have to do God's will his way. If we look... At 16 and 2, perhaps the thought had crossed Abram's mind before, but he dismissed it because he didn't want to bring about a threat to Sarai, his wife. But now, whew, I mean, this seemed like fair game because why? Because she's bringing it up. Besides, Hagar was this attractive younger woman. She was most likely, as some commentaries say, she was most likely part of the dowry that came along when Abram and Sarai went down to uh, uh, Pharaoh and he began to even give Sarai off as his sister and say that he could marry her back in the Egyptian day, back in Genesis 12 and 16. So Abram's past sin is now going, uh, of going down to Egypt, trying to pawn off Sarai as his sister, comes back to haunt him in a very different way. And he yielded to this culturally acceptable custom went into Hagar and she became pregnant with his child. And it's from this, just these six verses that I think we need to really look at 
some points. Are you with me? Say amen. I think point number one is this. I think we need to learn this, that the greatest temptations often come from those closest to us. The greatest temptations often come from those who are closest to us. I can't say for certain, but my guess is that if one of Abram's friends had suggested this, Abram would have resisted the idea. If it was his boy, his ace, his BFF, he'd probably be like, no, man, that's crazy. I ain't doing that. You know, my wife would kill me. It's probably what he would say. But when Sarai suggested it, he became vulnerable. Because that's the way that we're made. We are most influenced by those who are closest to us emotionally. Let me say that again. We are most influenced by those who are closest to us emotionally. This is the reason why when a lot of times unmarried couples who, 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 who are together and they come to me and they, they, they want counseling because they're going through some things in their relationship and I tell them, I, I, I'm very consistent I, and, I, and I say this, I said, what happens is this, whenever the level of emotion and the level of physicality outweighs the level of commitment, it creates a counterfeit oneness. What is a counterfeit oneness? A counterfeit oneness is one person in their relationship is thinking that there's something more there. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. Maybe y'all don't start talking back to me and say after 11.30, so I'll wait 60 seconds. But that's what happens is that you think there's something there in the relationship when really there's not nothing there. You've allowed yourself to go there in your mind, but in reality, there's nothing there. We're influenced by those closest to us emotionally. That's why you gotta watch who you let into your space. And see, this just, not, this just isn't a message for singles. It's a message for married folks because what happens is a lot of times when you're going through in your marriage, you begin to draw closer to someone who you feel can connect with you on an emotional level because they may be going through the same thing. I don't have nobody talking to me in this place. And then you find a common ground and a common denominator is, oh, we both are going through in our marriages. And so now that person becomes closer to you and is able to influence you because you have been connected emotionally you got to be careful with that watch this the parallel of, of what happened here I mean let's look at look back down at your scripture uh, chapter 16 chapter 16 I believe it's verse 3 watch this nope I want to go to verse 2 do I want verse 2? 
Yes, I'm on verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has, pre in the King James, I like what the King James says, the Lord has prevented me, <laughs> pre prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Now watch this. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. What does that sound like? Who does that sound like? The same thing happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 with Adam and Eve. Look at this. Satan got Adam when he listened to his wife. The same phrase here in, in, in 16 and 2 warns us that we need to be on guard, not only to be, not to be wrongly influenced by those closest to us and not, and not to tempt us, and I'm sorry, and not to tempt those closest to us. See, there is a play here because, see, those that are the, those that are the closest to us, it goes both ways. They have the ability to influence us to do wrong, and we also have the ability to influence them to do wrong. That's why in a family unit, it is so important that both the husband and the wife are growing together in the word, growing together in Christ. This is the reason why. Why? Because, hey, 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 just like uh, uh, next Saturday, th there's a marriage retreat going on. Let me tell you something. You and your spouse should be there together. You and your about-to-be spouse should be there together. Why? Because you need to be aware of the various tricks and schemes that the enemy tries to plague against our marriages. And the Bible says we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Well, the only, re the only way that you cannot be ignorant of his devices is to, is to equip yourself with the knowledge and the tools that God continues to provide to you. Listen to this and listen to me good. The temptation to cool your zeal from the Lord will most likely come from a lukewarm mate. Lord, oh, they don't like me now, but it's all right. It's all right. Let me say it again. The temptation to cool your zeal for the Lord will most likely come from a lukewarm mate. So you have to be on guard. I've seen it in my own family. That uncles, I, I remember very vividly, very vividly. My mom can attest to this. I had an uncle who was called to the ministry but then got, got, got swept away by the cares of the world and his job and making a lot of money that he began to drift away from the Lord, began to drift away from God, began to drift away from the things of God. And his wife began going further and deeper in the things of God. And he began to despise her. Began to despise her. But you know one thing that I love about my aunt? <laughs> she didn't take that battle back to him. She took that battle into that prayer closet. She took that battle to the Lord. And she began to testify about how she would begin to go into his closet 
and begin to pray as she would cover herself in his shirts and, and begin to pray and, 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 and put oil in his shoes and begin to pray in his closet believing that, that even as he would go to work every single day as he would begin to put on those garments something would begin to fall off of him. Something would begin to change on the inside of him. Something would begin to alter the course of his direction. Why? Because she said, I, I'm not going to fight this fight in the flesh. I'm going to fight this fight in the spirit and that's what you need to understand is that the weapons of our warfare are not but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds. You got to know your weapon. You got to know how powerful your weapon is. Some of us are walking around with AK-47s and don't know how to shoot it. Dangerous. You got to be on guard because the greatest temptation often comes from those who are closest to us. Let me give you a second point that I think we can extract from uh, verses 1 through 6, and that is right motives are not enough. We need right methods. Right motives are not enough. We need right methods. Both Abram and Sarai had pure motives. They wanted to bring about God's will by producing the heir that God had promised. Watch this. They wanted to help God out. <laughs> their motive was right, but their method was wrong. <laughs> and see, this is where us as husbands and husbands, listen to me good because, because I think that there can be times when just as I and so many of you all in this room, we, we, we will do whatever we can for our wives. You know how it is. Pillow talk. I can see. I'm going to just use her as an example because the Bryans know I love them. I can see Mark and Sherry. They're there, you know, and cuddle up. and They've been married for over 35 years, right? Over 35 years. 40 years, almost 40. Almost 40. Wow. Come on, give God some praise for that. But can you imagine <laughs> Sherry, you know, long day at work, they're snuggled up in bed, and Sherry just said, you know, I'm tired of working, Mark, you know. Babe. He said, yeah. Why don't you just go down to that bank tomorrow and just rob it? You know, I mean, that way I don't have to work no more. You probably won't have to work no more depending upon how much you get. You know, but, but then we can sail off into retirement and just be smooth and you wouldn't worry about anything. Now, now the motive for them to just relax <laughs> and be cool and not have to worry about work because, you know, they want to just chill out. The motive was right. But how many people know the method was wrong? And sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I'm, I, we, all, we, all, we all can be guilty of this. Sometimes we have to watch the cunningness of it because sometimes it will come, to, come through those who are closest to us. And they can sound, oh, that sounds right. Oh, that sounds good, babe. Yeah, babe, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Motive can be right, but the method 
can be wrong. Can I tell you something? In God's work, listen to me good. In God's work, methods are often just as important as the results. I remember being in, 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 in school, and most of y'all could probably relate to this, especially in math class. I don't know why math would always do this to me, Brother Justin, Pastor Justin, but in math class, one of the things that would always happen to me <laughs> is when I would raise my hand, I felt like it didn't happen to anybody else but me, but I felt like whenever I raised my hand to give the answer, instead of the teacher saying, you're right, Devin, that's the right answer, the teacher would always say, that's right. Now, how did you get that answer? Why didn't you ask Johnny that same question when he said 64? I mean, how come, how come you had to ask me, how did I get that answer? It's probably because she knew that at times I would peek over at Rebecca. <laughs> I'm just being honest here. Sometimes Rebecca would would mouth the answer, oh, 72. And then I would raise my hand enthusiastically and say, 72, Miss Johnson. And she'd be like, that's the right answer. Now, how did you get there? How did you arrive there? I don't know. I looked at Rebecca's mouth, and she was mouthing 72. That's actually a, a term. I don't know, honey, you may help, help me out. What is, that, what is that teacher term when you got to know the process of how you arrive to something. Show your work, right? Okay, we'll, we'll go with that, yeah. Show your work. <laughs> Listen, the ultimate question is not what's the bottom line or give me the results. It's rather how did you get there? Show me your work. <laughs> Did the results come from dependence upon God? Or were the results a work of the flesh? Is God, is God really the source? Or is it human nature? See, this is a special problem for us as humans because, because, and especially us here in America, because we are pragmatic people. If it works, it must be right. <laughs> I mean, after all, look at the results. See, I, I got proven results. It works, so it must be right. See, these methods are proven to build your church. I, I, I was sitting down, and I won't say his name, I was sitting down with, I was having lunch with another pastor in the city. And, 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 and I mean, you know, he's a thriving ministry and it's all good. And he was saying, yeah, doc, see, see what happens is, you know, I make decisions based on, is it gonna bring me momentum or is it gonna bring me money? And I was like, whoa, that's, that's, that's weird. <laughs> But they have all these, all these proven solutions as you, you do this, you line it up with that, and you do this, and then do a little bit of this every now and then, then guess what? Your church will grow. I don't know about you, but I, I'd rather build God's church based on his glory. 
and people coming into this house because they want to experience the glory of God. I want, to, I want people to come into this house because they know that in this house, it's a house of prayer. And when we talk to God, needs get met. When we talk to God, sick bodies get healed. When we talk to God, marriages get restored. I, I want this house to be known as a house of, of where God is exalted and Jesus is Lord. Not bringing in this person or that person because we want to see numbers inflate and we want to see numbers grow. No, 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 no. I want the glory of God to be the focus of this church. But notice that Abraham, he got, Abram got the intended results with Hagar. He got a son. But it wasn't from the Lord. And it created all sorts of problems in the short run and in the long run. Right motives must be accompanied by the right methods. Let me give my third point up under this one, and it's very key. Right methods involve seeking the Lord, not using cultural acceptable means to escape our problems. Right methods involve seeking the Lord, not using culturally acceptable means to escape our problems. When Sarai said, the Lord has prevented me. <laughs> right there in 16 and 2. It should have set off some warning signs and some warning lights to Abram. That if the Lord had prevented you, then it's wrong to try to... Uh, in run to get some other means what he's, what he's prevented you from having. Let me, see, let me see if I can find a better way to say that. If God has prevented you from having something, then it's wrong for you to try to circumvent your own way and method to get about, to get what it is that he has prevented you from having. When the Lord has shut you up, to some trial. Be careful from removing it through your own schemes. Because see, it is permissible to work to alleviate the problem if you truly seek the Lord in the process. Submitting to his sovereign hand. But if you resort to your human solutions that leave God out of the equation, or just give God this polite recognition in passing. Let me tell you something, you're in trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. You're in trouble. Now, I'm not saying that all of them are bad, because there are some good step processes out there. But, you know, the 10-step the or the 12-step program that leaves God out, See, I got a problem with that. See, they may mention a higher power, and they seem to really do help people, but my problem with them is that no matter who or what higher power it is, the program still works. If any higher power will do, then even if you call it God, then the higher power is not the essential part of the process. Y'all not hearing me today. 
And not only that, but most programs have a very selfish focus. Their goal is to help people overcome their problems so they can be happy. <laughs> they, they just want you to be happy and not deal with the sin so that you can learn how to please and glorify God. So even though the programs often work, the results come from flesh and not from God's spirit. Right methods, get hear me good, involve seeking the Lord and depending on him to work it out. So we all will have family problems when we yield to wrong cultural customs instead of following God's plan. And let me tell you something. Our culture puts pressure on our families to violate God's word. And we have to be that much more intentional, deliberate, about making sure that we're regarding and holding his word above anything that this culture would suggest. Are you hearing what I'm saying out there? I'm gonna pick this back up next week. Stand to your feet, everybody. Because I believe the Lord wants to do something even in this moment. Family matters. Family matters. Family matters to God. Let me tell you something. Family matters to this church. And we want to see families in this church and in this community thrive. Not just survive, but thrive. Why thrive? Because he says, I am come that you may have life and life more abundantly. You're surviving when you're just running from the enemy and, whoo, I made it another day. Beat the devil running. I'm so glad. No, 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 no. I want you to enter into a place where you know the fullness of God is waiting and ready to overtake your life. I want you to be aware that goodness and mercy is chasing you down. And all you have to do is just submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I believe that God wants to take our families to another level in him. Well, Pastor, you talk a lot about, you know, husbands and wives, but let me talk to you, single mom or single dad. Let me tell you something. God has a plan for you too. God has a way mapped out for you. And we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks during this sermon series. Because there's so much more to this life than what you've been experiencing. Our community at Revival Tabernacle aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at 
www.revivaltab.org.